0: Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crack the jacks. I don't care if I ever get back, cause it's rude, rude for the whole team. They don't win, it's a shame. Cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're right at the
1: Welcome to Let's Get 2, the baseball podcast from the fan's perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher.
0: And welcome to Let's Get 2. We have a very packed, very independent show for you today. An independent podcast, having an independent show about independent baseball is pretty independently cool. We are jam-packed with guests, in fact, so if you don't like listening to me talk, this is the episode for you because we've got a bunch of guests coming on. We've got baseball covered from the Atlantic League to the American Association Professional Baseball, and we even took a look back at some of the mavericks of independent ball. Now, this is actually kind of a depressing weekend for me. I was not supposed to be recording a show. I map out production days for the episodes. I map them out and I make sure that every day is covered when we're going to have shows and therefore when I'm going to record those shows. And tonight I'm sitting here recording it for tomorrow's episode for Tuesday, May 19th episode. And I'm recording this on Monday, May 18th. And at this exact time, I should be leaving the Rogers center after having watched the Astros at Blue Jays. This is the first big weekend for me that was canceled for coronavirus. And, you know, obviously I have my health. My family's healthy. My grandkid is healthy. My granddaughter is healthy. My daughters, everybody's healthy that I know. And I only tangentially know people that aren't unhealthy because of coronavirus. But it's still a bummer to sit back and think about the fact that The baseball isn't happening like we hoped, and the longer we go, the more dire it seems. And so this weekend was supposed to be my big trip to go to the Buffalo Bisons and then to go up to see the Rochester Red Wings and then head up to watch the Toronto Blue Jays and the Houston Astros. And That's not going to happen, but we're going to stay positive. We're going to keep having some fun baseball content for you, so stick with us.
1: This just in, news from Minor League Baseball.
0: So we do have some breaking news, and none of it's great, and it's not out of the minor leagues. We are still waiting to hear about contraction and whether seasons will start and all that stuff. so funny how that story had a momentum until it didn't, but we do have some news out of the world of the Houston Astros, and again, none of it great, some of it a relief. We'll start with Art Howe. You know, Art Howe was... Unfortunately, made famous for what I think is probably a problematic depiction in the movie Moneyball. I do love the movie Moneyball so much, but they needed a villain, so they turned it into Art Howe. And Astros fans know it's one of the last guys you turn into a villain because he's about one of the nicest guys on the planet. Longtime Astros hero, Astros manager. Got the coronavirus and spent some time in ICU But he is home and recovering and doing well. So that was the the relief part of the news. Unfortunately, the Astros did lose a legend in Astros player Bob Watson. He's a guy that played for when my dad was young, when my dad was a a big fan of the Astros. He was signed in 1965. Uh, Again, longtime Astros. Nickname was Bull credited with scoring the millionth run in Major League history on Sunday, May the 4th, 1975. So even though May the 4th, 1975 wasn't quite yet Star Wars Day, as Star Wars wouldn't be out for another couple of weeks, I do like the guy that was credited with the millionth run in the Major League Baseball history, and he scored it on a day that would become a celebratory day for the most famous movie about space ever, and that guy was on the Astros. Uh, he passed away at the age of 74 this same weekend. And just as an, a sad moment for the Astros. You know, it's a team. The Astros are a team that doesn't get a lot of recognition for having much history. But we have our stars. We have our legends. Bob Watson's certainly one of them. And it was a sad moment for Astros fans when he passed away. But But as often happens with something like this, it was really cool to see so many members of the Astros organization both media that covered them now, the people that covered them back when he was playing, come out and, and express their their regards for this player. Uh, he played almost 20 years in the majors. He played with the Astros for 13 years, starting in 66, played a year with the Red Sox, played a couple of years with the Yankees, and a couple of years with the Braves. So rest in peace to Bob Watson and to Art Howell. We hope you get better quickly and you're back visiting
1: Minute Maid Park. On deck, the Let's Get To interview of the week, brought to you by Fine Line Sportswear. And so we are welcome
0: and excited to be joined by Michael Sharon. Now, Michael's a filmmaking buddy of mine from Austin. Now, generally, on my other show, I bring filmmakers on to talk about their movies, except I'm bringing him on to talk about someone else's movie because the rarest thing happened, Michael. I'm not sure if you knew this. So many people suggest new baseball movies to me, and I almost always have seen them. Until you... How's it going, man? Good,
2: good. Yeah, this is actually a movie that I remember suggesting to you multiple times. And every time I saw you, you were like, I'll check it out, I'll check it out. And then you finally messaged me one day and you were like, I I watched it. I've actually already watched it twice uh, before you even got back to me. Uh, Yeah.
0: No, that's absolutely true. So, you know... Uh, first of all, I, I know that you, you like baseball. What is it about the game that you kind of dig that, that you – because I don't see you as a very big spectator sports guy, out uh, you know, in general.
2: Right. I mean, I actually am not. My I grew up – my dad loved football. It never appealed to me, never cared for it. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, in junior high, I got really into baseball because I had a friend who was into it, and uh, we were collecting cards, hats, going to games. Uh, it, was, it was just a game that appealed to me uh, on a level of uh, – you know, it's, it's kind of more chess, like more thought out. And uh, I really enjoyed that. But then I got into high school, got into playing in bands, then got into films and just kind of went away. And uh, this movie was actually one of those things in 2014. I saw it on Netflix and just like made me really realize how much I enjoyed baseball. And just like the spirit of this film made me want to go back and start watching it again. And gradually since then, I've gotten more and more back into watching baseball.
0: So tell me a little bit about, cause you're a filmmaker. So you get to bring a beyond the whole, Oh, I liked it. Or I did it. You get to bring a little bit more inside knowledge to the movie. You're also working on a doc. I know. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but what is it about the structure and sort of the way this film is put together that stands out from so many other baseball docs that I think are a little bit dry. Is it just the subject matter or is it the filmmaking as well? I
2: think it's both. I mean, I think it's a very, very well-made documentary. Uh, there's it, it, It tells it and and also the story is built for it because even in the last I rewatched it again this past week and even in the last 10 minutes, there's reveals that you go, oh, my God, like and it's so cool that like this team was it's they are real life bad news bears, but also like went on to do all kinds of crazy stuff and like changed a lot of attitudes about sports. And like it was kind of the end, like uh, it's a little bit like a Western, you know, like the end of the old West, the end of the last independent league uh, and just it appeals on so many levels.
0: One of the things that I found interesting about it, too, was you know that like the idea that uh, the Bat boy goes on to be a three- time Oscar nominated, but yet but yet, it's not the guy that made the movie. like I, I wonder if we see thinking, why did I not get that idea? I actually looked up today that
2: he just so I, at Sundance when it premiered, Justin Lin, uh, the director, bought the rights to make a narrative. I don't know I there's no news stories since 2014 about it, but he was in talks with Todd Fields about writing and directing it possibly.
0: Uh, Which Justin Lin, not the Justin Lin. Oh, wow. Very cool. Very cool. Um, You know, but it is interesting. So this whole episode that we're doing, whenever I I reach out to you about talking about this movie is we're basically doing an entire independent baseball because, you know, you talked about the Old West. While the Mavericks died, it did did really renew people's um, appetite for something that's just not part of the norm. And I was thinking about it when I rewatched the movie about how all the stuff that they did, like the lighting, the brooms on fire for the sweeps and stuff like that, all that goofy stuff is what is exactly what they do now. Like every team does stuff like that.
2: Yeah. And, and that is something about baseball that I've really enjoyed. Uh, you know, being an Astros fan, you're an Astros fan, seeing the, when they were doing the, the, every home run where they would take the photo and doing different things like that really brings you into it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I like that about the sport a lot.
0: What did you find kind of most angering about the film? I know that's a weird question to go for, but to me, like there's a lot about the movie that I love because of how it's structured, but also just like pisses me off.
2: Yeah, uh, it was I mean, it was very frustrating because to see, you know, being Russell, being this guy who grew up on baseball and loved baseball and to finally get his dream, he buys this team. He's running this team and is breaking records for attendance for a single a ball club like it's crazy and to watch as they every time they got to the playoffs sending people down to keep them from winning you know and then eventually just coming in and seeing the the crowd and just go no we want that back and just taking it from him was heartbreaking like to see that this guy put so much into that team for what four years and then to just take it away.
0: What about, um, what did you find when you watched the film The most inspiring when it comes to those guys?
2: Uh, just some of the, some, just the idea that like these guys So like when he puts out his, his open call And it's all of, these <laughs> yeah. guys, all of these guys who just love baseball And just want to be involved And couldn't make it somewhere else Or got cut somewhere else and, But it was really, you know, putting together uh, Just a, a group of misfits to come together And do something really awesome
0: Kind of reminds you of a group photo at the Austin Revolution Film Festival, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's actually what I was, what I wanted to segue into is your own work, because, I you know, I think when I watch the film, there is a kinship there. Yeah, we're not ball players, but we're definitely doing things outside the norm. And anytime you hear about someone like us that gets close to breaking it big, the industry finds a way to squash them. I mean, it just happens. Um but but a lot of your work is underdog story stuff like um you know random knowledge about this like underdog uh trivia team and and the, the here comes the neighborhood what is it about an underdog story that appeals to you as a filmmaker
2: like and that's the thing like talking about how I never really cared too much for sports growing up I love sports comedies like that has always been major league necessary roughness like these movies always spoke to me is that team of guys wanting to take on the the establishment, the power that was keeping them down, you know? And like, the, because it was always to those guys loved what they were doing. Right. And to see people just say, you know what, you can't stop us from doing it. We're going to do it anyway. is always something that was, you know, spoke to me.
0: At any point, you know, when you're in the filmmaking process from you know, like they say that the most intimidating thing is a blank sheet of paper, which, you know, your blank script to you've, you, 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 you declare the, the film finished and you submit it to your first festival. What are, what are the, are the parts in that process that you really have to like rally yourself and say, I've got to get over this hump. Like I've like back against the wall kind of moment. I know that I have them. I'm assuming that you, that, that, I'm assuming it's not all a, a walk in the park for you.
2: Oh, man. Uh, it, it depends on the project. Sometimes it's like I have that idea and it's finding the, the story in it to write it. And then it just goes from there. And then sometimes I'll have it written and it's just, you know, it's those locations or like finding the right cast that like really gets stuck on it. You know, it's it's it, it can vary from project to project. But there's always something that's that's uh, hard, hard to you know just push through.
0: So, you know, you, you talked about liking sports comedies and. I know like essentially random knowledge is a sports comedy, which blends two things you like, you like competition and you also are a big trivia guy. Um, What, what, what do you look for when you see, like you mentioned necessary roughness in major league, which are two of the best, but there's also a lot that missed the mark. What the ones that missed the mark, why do they miss the mark for you?
2: I think, I think what what works in, in those movies is the cast and the characters and the 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 group especially a necessary roughness of like the the old ba- the old football guy who like <laughs> yeah. wanted to make it and gets his 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 second shot at it right and like the the girl who's the the soccer player they bring in to be the kicker and like bringing in all of these guys who shouldn't actually be there uh, but like they come together and in getting to see that group is is I think really what makes it work for me.
0: You know it's funny because like Major League, uh, I think is is genius. I rewatched Necessary Roughness and was and forgot how actually really smart that film is beyond, you know, Welcome to Football. Um but then but but then a movie like Basketball really misses for me. Like that like I think to me I think Necessary Roughness is grounded in enough of a real underdog like it could be Rocky with less jokes. Like I think that's what makes it work for me.
2: Right. I th- I think Basketball I probably haven't seen it in 20 years, but it's a very different thing for me. <laughs> it's it's pretty absurdist.
0: Right. Yeah. So I know that you're always a guy. Um, I mean, you're you are always working. What's what's next for you coming up? I know that you've got a film premiere at our Festival. Talk a little bit about that, and then what do you have coming up after that? Because I know that you don't sleep.
2: Yeah. So we've got You're the Puppet, um, which has played at some fests and will be at ARF this uh September. It's a comedy about a comedian with a puppet. Um, and uh they have some debate on who is the more important member of the duo. Uh <laughs> It's 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 kind of a a comedy thriller is how I've been billing it. Uh, And then we actually just finished crowdfunding the week before everything shut down over this covid stuff uh, for a film called Leverage, uh, which is an action comedy. Oh, Uh, yeah. We're kind of in a weird place right now because it's uh, it's very heavy contact. So we can't really do anything with it yet. Um, but that's that's our next step as soon as we're able to shoot we're going to be shooting that
0: Is there anything you can say about the film who do you have in it, it like
2: uh, Yeah so it stars uh, Diana Rose um,
0: Oh was a- fun
2: Yeah and um, Ronald Short plays her sidekick um, And then you've got uh, Eric Anderson who's been in all my films uh, Bob Fonseca from uh, the Dudley and Bob radio show here is going to be the main villain uh, and then we've got some guys here in town who are just martial artists. Some of the, our main guys have been doing them for like almost thirty years. Who we are training these guys to at least look like they know what they're doing. Uh, so it should be a fun shoot.
0: I, I love that you got Diana Rose mostly because uh, her photo shoot for the Austin Revolution baseball card thing. They sent me about fifteen photos. They really got into they really got into that. And so and, and what anything else? Now looking far future, what else do you have? Uh, kind of in the in the hopper.
2: Uh, so I've got that. I've got another short that I want to shoot right after it. That's real simple. Um, I'm still eventually working on this documentary with Landry, Landry Gideon. We're kind of, again, in a weird place. We have to go out and shoot for one more day and we don't know when that's going to be. Um, yeah. and then, uh, yeah. And then hopefully working on a, on working on a feature next year.
1: Lights, camera, play ball inside baseball cinema.
0: So as we continue talking about the battered bastards of baseball in our independent baseball episode, not that I don't have a bunch of them, we are excited to welcome independent baseball fan, Andrew Nelson. I don't know why I said it that way. Like I never talk about independent baseball in this show ever because I talk about it all the time.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I was uh, telling I told people in the intro you can play my therapist for a second. This was supposed to be my Buffalo Bisons, Rochester Wedwings Wings, Astros at Toronto Blue Jays weekend. So,
3: oh, I feel for you. That yeah. would have been a lot of fun. We
0: we were not scheduled to record today. I was scheduled to still be at SkyDome or Rogers Centre or whatever they call it now. Yeah. I just know that the center is spelled wrong cuz it's uh re not er that's all i know
3: yeah
0: um but you got real excited when we talked offline last week or so about getting to talk about this movie today so let's jump into it what works for you about the battered bastards of baseball
3: uh the things that work about this movie for me are uh the things that work about indie baseball for me um it's fun and irreverent and um in a lot of ways kind of distills baseball down to its purest form, I think.
0: Yeah, I think, I think so, man. Like, I think, um, it is baseball without the trappings and it's, um, you know, I, it, we could, we could we could go a lot of threads on this, and and I'll take one real quick because you and I are scheduled, you know, God willing and the crick don't rise, as they say down here in Texas. Yeah,
3: knock on wood. Knock
0: on wood to be at the St. Paul Saints uh, game in July in which they're going to roast my Astros. They're having Astros, the grouch <laughs> night, and I'm all about it. But but you can see kind of the weird moments beginning in, at Port League Mavericks games with like the brooms and the fire and the stuff like that.
3: Oh, yeah. And and Jim Bouton on a redemption tour. Oh, I right. Mean, yeah. Like, we had the same thing in Minnesota in the 90s with the Saints, uh, where we had Daryl Strawberry come through for, I think, about a month and a half, if I remember right, and just tear up the Northern League uh, until he got signed by the Yankees. Um, and we
0: had uh, Roger Clemens, who played for the Skeeters, really... I think he only had like five starts, but it was really purely to play with his son. Like they wanted to play together. So yeah, you know he was fifty years old, and and, and again making making the Atlantic look, look pretty silly because uh, he could still right. bring it ninety five. And then as you yeah. know, in indie ball, that's fast. Oh yeah. Yeah. So let's, what else worked for you? For, worked for you? Like how does like it's particularly when we contrasted against Ken Burns baseball, which I know again you and I both love, and everybody thinks we yeah. hate it, but. <laughs> How does it work for you in such a different way than that film?
3: Well, so where I have issues with the way that Ken Burns baseball like chooses sides sometimes, um, I don't at all have issues with the way this movie chooses sides. <laughs> right. but it, it's very much rooting for the underdogs, the, the misfits, the guys who, you know, they just showed up from all over the place across the country and signed and uh, tried out and signed onto this team. You know, they, they were has-beens or never wases and, uh, and they put together a successful, fun team for a few years.
0: The thing that breaks my heart for it, because, you know, it's funny, you and I are very wired into both independent and affiliated minor leagues. We are watching what the big rich corporation is trying to do to some of them. And it is the exact same mm-hmm. thing that the major league baseball did to the Portland Mavericks.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny how history repeats itself for, at the very least rhymes, <laughs> uh, you know, like.
0: I've never heard that before. I love that. Okay.
3: With, uh, you know, the way that they, they got rid of the Mavericks by putting a triple A team in there and, and some of the discussion that's been around, Trying to put in put a Triple A team in St. Paul or in Sugarland, two of the financially most successful indie teams going. Um, you know, it 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 looks like the big guys feeling threatened by the little guys who have just honestly a little bit of success compared to the you know the billions of dollars that Major League Baseball makes. Um, but but they can't. It's like they can't stand somebody else having fun and looking good, you know? Um,
0: yeah, I think that's what's interesting. And, you know, we, we spoke to uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk to the play by play voice of the St. Saint Paul saints. And, you know, I don't, under, I, I, I sense that jealousy, the same thing you're sensing from major league baseball. I sense it too, though. It makes no sense to me because, you know, at the end of the day, the saints have a stadium that feels 7,100 people. Yeah. They're throwing a party for 7,100 people. I would suspect Constellation Field where the Sugarland Skeeters are is roughly the same size. Right. Um, Why? Why do they feel like they got to like, I just imagine them trying to take it over and then homogenizing the crap out of it, just like every big corporation does to something small and
3: independent. Exactly. Yeah, it's weird because like it's they're both baseball, but they're not the same product, you know, like people going to a major league game, they're going to see the baseball. Right. And, and like, I mean, I'm going to see the baseball at a saints game, but I know I'm in the minority. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. Well, and it's also um, like, I'm going to see the baseball too, but I'm also down to walk around and check out mascots and look at weird, like.
3: For sure. And, and yeah. uh, take part in weird promotions and things like that. And, Um, you know, it's, it's a different thing. You're paying for a different thing and you're paying different amounts too. I mean, much,
0: much different,
3: you know, you, you can get a very nice indie ball ticket for the price of a nosebleed ticket at most major league parks.
0: What was the thing, um, with, with bastards, what was kind of the one thing that surprised you the most coming out of that film?
3: Sure. Um, I guess I was surprised how successful they were like on the field, how how successful they were as an on-field product um, that they really competed with um, the affiliated teams that they played. Um, And, you know, they, they don't go too much into it, but um, aside from, you know, the, talking about their record and stuff like that. Yeah. We actually
0: um, uh, covering it this episode. That's going to be my focus for the Raiders of the Lost Diamond. I did do a deep dive into just how, how successful they were. And they were like for, for all what four or five seasons, they were either first or second every year. They really did yeah. compete hard. One of the things the movie does kind of overblow though, is how often Kurt Russell was involved. Cause I really think he only played yeah. like eight games or something, but don't we'll, we'll talk about that now. Tune into the Raiders lost diamond in the next segment.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and, and there are the craziest thing maybe is that there are there's stories that they didn't get into. Like they didn't really talk about that. Uh, Big League two was tied to the Portland Mavericks
0: until the very end. They're like, oh, what? Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um, so, I, I mean, it's 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 kind of the antithesis of, of like Ken Burns baseball in a lot of ways. And that it's, it's a little irreverent and it's a little funny and goofy. And it's also very, really brief. Like it's under an hour.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like that could be a three hour doc. Easy. For and sure. I, I would watch the extended cut. All right. And yeah. we are gonna, we are going to run. Uh, I know next week we are back with the catcher was a spy. Uh, I cannot wait to dive into that movie. My reaction to it might surprise you.
3: Uh, we'll, we'll see. I, I have uh, I have a interesting reaction myself.
1: <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Diamond: A Look into Baseball's Past.
0: And as we continue to focus on independent baseball, partly in relationship to our discussion of battered bastards of baseball that we had earlier in the show, our Raiders of the Lost Diamond segment takes a further look at that upstart team from Portland. Now, after the Portland Beavers left Portland after almost 70 years, the largest city in Oregon was baseball-less until an upstart from Southern California came along, a maverick, if you will. The Mavericks were a minor league club operating in Class A Northwest League. Founded by longtime actor Bing Russell and featuring his son, some of you might call him Snake Plissken, but it'll always be Jack Burton to me, Mr. Kurt Russell, the Mavericks were just that, a Maverick indie club playing in an affiliated minor league, which is unheard of today. Now, at the time, they were actually the only official independent club operating Major League Baseball had effectively destroyed independent baseball with its consolidation and combination of the minor leagues. That's right, fans of this show. Those same minor leagues, they are now trying to kill. Now, being an independent team, all the other teams in the Northwest League got players from the big league club. It was very similar how it is today, where there was single A, double A, triple A, and on and on and on. The Mavericks, however had to hold tryouts, just like all the other independent clubs that we've covered on the show. So has-beens, never weres, and former major league star Jim Bouton, along with former actors, came to play and coach. Being Russell, the GM and now full owner, carried a 30-man roster because he thought everyone should have one last shot at playing baseball. The team kicked off in 1973, winning the South Division with a record of 45-35. and 35. In 1974, they went 50-34 and 34 and came in second in the West Division. This is a great two-year start for a team that, quite frankly, no one expected to win a game, much less many games. That same year of 1974, Lanny Moss was promoted to GM, making her the first female GM in professional baseball. Again, another Maverick. In 1975, they went 42 and 35 and won the North division, losing to the Eugene Emeralds in a three-game series for the championship. As the documentary, The Battered Bastards of Baseball points out, the Emeralds, then a Reds affiliate, got an influx of high-level talent sent down. The Reds organization and the other organizations that would follow couldn't stand losing to an independent club. In 1976, I was born and the Mavericks again won the division, this time losing to the Walla Walla Padres in the championship. In 1977, the Mavericks put up their best season yet going 44-22 and then faced the Bellingham Mariners in the championship series. Notable future MLBer Dave Henderson was on that Mariner squad. Bellingham won game 1, and then the series shifted to Portland and ,4770 people saw the Mavericks destroy the Mariners 10 to 1. It forced the third and final game in Portland the next night, but unfortunately the Mavericks would come up just a bit short, although they did draw 7,805 fans. Now, again, as the documentary points out so well, Major League Baseball was concerned about the now viability of independent baseball. Fortunately, the horse had left the barn. Part of it was because much like independent baseball today, the atmosphere was fun. It was a nine inning party and the Mavs set attendance records for a ball minor league baseball wide. So the Mavs were then forced to be bought out by the Pacific Coast League, claiming they wanted to bring AAA baseball back to Portland with a new version of the old Portland Beavers. Now the Mavericks were incredibly popular. However, the Beavers in their first season in 1978 drew only 93,000 fans for the season, an average of under 1,400 per game, far below what the Mavericks drew. Triple A baseball, one would think, with a higher level—I'm using air quotes—higher level of talent would draw bigger crowds. I can't recommend the documentary enough. It is one of my favorite baseball movies. Period. It's such a loving portrayal to people who love the game, not because of the money or the glamour or the ability to be like Blake Snell and have followers on Twitch, but because they love the game, for the same reason I love the game and the same reason that people hang on to that game as long as they can and for the same reason that people that are listening to this show love the game. Watching it reminded me of the line in Moneyball where young Billy Bean is getting recruited to possibly be drafted by the Mets and and the scout says something to the effect of, we're all told at some point we can't play the kids' game anymore. Some of us don't get to decide, and for some of the some for some people, it happens earlier than others. I love this documentary because it's an incredibly American story of people being told no and not taking no for an answer. Unfortunately, it's an American story that the rich would step on them. But the doc is beautiful. It's about perseverance. And it's about saying, I want one more minute in the sun, and I don't give a damn who tells me no.
1: Who's on first? The Let's Get To Team of the Week. Brought to you by Zoomer Sport. So we are excited to welcome as our
0: team of the week, the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. I'm reminded of one of the great lines from the movie Wedding Crashers, crab cakes and football. Well, we're going to do crabs in baseball. We are welcomed by Andrew Banster, the broadcaster for the Blue Crabs. How's it going, man?
4: Hey, thanks so much for having me on, man. Uh, we really appreciate it and looking forward to talking with you.
0: Yeah, I am too. Uh, you guys have been one of my favorite brands from afar. Uh, we cover the Skeeters a lot, so that kind of uh, works its way into kind of how I found out you guys and stuff. So tell me a little bit about you, though, before we jump into the Blue Crabs. How did you get into baseball in the first place and then ended up being a broadcaster?
4: Yeah, definitely, man. Great question. So I grew up in uh, Des Moines, Iowa. I uh, played college baseball at Vista University mm-hmm. in Iowa, and uh, I had an internship out in D.C. I was looking for a baseball job and got an internship with the Blue Crabs. And after I graduated, I was fortunate enough to get the, uh, the full-time broadcasting gig. So, you know, I've always loved baseball. I've always loved sports in general, but broadcasting was always my dream. And I'm going on my fourth season here with the Blue Crabs. So, you know, it's, it's a great atmosphere um, Southern Maryland's a great place as is Sugarland. Um, you know, so it's the independent league scene is incredible. The Atlantic league in particular. So, you know, I, I couldn't be more happy. When you
0: were growing up, you know, I I think baseball, there, there's there's a famous quote that I on the show consistently misquote, but it's essentially that, you know, baseball is the only sport you can see on a radio. Um, and for me growing up, it was guys like Milo Hamilton, down in Houston now we have Robert Ford. Um, I'm in Round Rock, so Mike Caps. Who are some of the voices you grew up to listening to?
4: Yeah, great question, man. Um, you know, I'm I'm a big Vin Scully guy. Um, I I like Bob Euchre a lot too. So you know, I think you're exactly right. When you, um, you, it's a special special thing when you're able to listen to baseball on radio, in particular, right? Because. It's just such a fun, fun art to listen to of guys that are so accurately able to depict the scene without seeing it. But at the same time, obviously, you know, calling a game on TV is so different and also such a such a talent that guys, like I mentioned, have. So, you know, those are some of my favorites and they do such a great job.
0: Really, truly, really and truly. So you guys in the Atlantic League, I want to talk a little bit about 2019 because, y'all were sort of kind of the testing ground for some major league baseball stuff. And I was curious how it kind of played out for you guys. Like some of the, the more subtle ruse, rule changes are fine, but like sort of the, the, as we call it, the robo. Um, side. So I remember talking to Tyler Stam of the Skeeters and he said, it's not like R2D2 will be back there. And I was really sad, actually, that would have been cool. But <laughs> um, what was it like kind of dealing with that aspect from your position, your perspective of, a pitch is thrown waiting for the umpire to get the word of whether it was a ball on a strike and that kind of delay. And and, and how did that work out for you?
4: Yeah. You know, it was a really interesting thing for me, right? Because I'm, I'm a baseball fan. I love the game. Um, But also I love seeing the game evolve. I'm, I'm a fan of implementing rules to some degree, like the ones that were implemented, but the coolest part for me was just sitting up in the booth and watching baseball history take place. Right. So You know, seeing things like a electronic umpire for the first time ever was incredible, but it was a little bit of a, a, an interesting situation because I interact with the players um, quite frequently. So I hear their side, some like it, some don't, but then from a PR perspective, I love it because you have all these media outlets coming out, covering it. Um, So just seeing the baseball history take place was incredible. The, the, Biggest one, the biggest day that we had was July 13th when Tony Thomas stole first base for the first time. Um, That was something. Right. That was that was, uh, you know, the rule would be any pitch that is not caught in the air um, is fair game to steal first base on. So the interesting part about that was kind of the talk around the clubhouse was like I'm not doing that like that's kind of cheating the game that's that's not something I'm interested in doing so for the first couple days you could see guys kind of having the opportunity to do it and the you know the guys out of the dugout would yell like come on do it and like somebody i remember once one of our catchers looked back towards the dugout and he was like I'm not stealing first base so Um, It was kind of like a taboo thing, like cheating the game. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be the guy to do this. But I'll tell you what, um, a couple players in particular, I think, are maybe a little disappointed that they didn't steal first base earlier because Tony Thomas got so much press out of that. I mean, he was covered on basically every news medium that there is. And other guys had the opportunity to do it first. So it turned out to be a cool thing. And by the end of the second half, uh, we had like three steals of first base in one game. And a couple times it kind of changed the outcome of a game. So, you know, no matter where you sit on that issue, I honestly, I don't see it happening in the MLB, but it was interesting for sure.
0: Yeah, I don't see it happening in the MLB either, which is unfortunate. I mean, they don't steal anything in the MLB anymore, <laughs> which is a whole other conversation. Uh, But no, you know, and I remember reading an article, I think, on ASPN about the hesitation for people to not do it because you're basically potentially giving up an at-bat. And even if you reach first, it's for a stat the MLB wouldn't care about anyway. You know, and these guys are all trying to get back to the show. So it was very interesting. One of the things, though, I was really happy for you guys, the Atlantic League in general, is it did, I think, put a big spotlight on independent baseball. And I think – People have this impression that if you watch independent baseball or triple A baseball, double A baseball, it's like comparing the XFL to the NFL. And I don't think the base, the quality is that different. I think it's much more razor thin. There is that line in Bull Durham about the difference between 250 and 300 is one hit a week. Like it isn't that big. Can you speak to the quality of play that you guys have, particularly in the Atlantic League?
4: Yeah, I I really appreciate you bringing up that question because I think it's really important. Um, I think that independent baseball in particular um, oftentimes is looked at as less than by some people, Um, especially when people, um, you know, innocently will ask, you know, who are you affiliated with? You say you're independent and immediately they kind of um, write you off. Right. But I think that the quality of baseball is, extremely extremely high Um, it's oftentimes I'll have buddies from college say oh you work in independent baseball I could definitely you know I could play there and then they look at the roster and it speaks for itself we've got um, certain teams in the league that have 10 12 guys with MLB experience Um, the Skeeters as you mentioned had somebody play in 2019 who pitched in on opening day In the MLB, so you know it's the the level of baseball is just incredibly high, and it's such an interesting um, level because it's these guys that are so talented, but just a little bit um, past their in age, a little bit past their first minor league contract, and trying to get back to the show, and that happens quite often. So the level of baseball to your point is very high and it's a really really competitive fun atmosphere to watch.
0: You know, brother, I'm a I'm an independent filmmaker. I'm used to people saying indie is not as good as quote the real thing. So <laughs> maybe that's why I fell into this in love with this so much. You know, for people that are out there that are, you know, in all likelihood People's first ability to see a baseball game in person in 2020 is going to be at an independent park. Minor leagues affiliated likely might not have games because if there are bigger schedules or sorry, bigger Rogers in the ma- rosters in the major league level and those games are going to be played without fans. Why should people say, all right, this is the time I'm now going to go to see to go to Southern Maryland and, and see a Blue Crabs game?
1: That's a great
4: question. And um, one point I didn't touch on that you brought up in your last question was the ability of those rule changes to really shed a light on independent baseball and the Atlantic League in particular. Um, A quote from Outside the Lines once said, you know, um, these rule changes were looked at as crazy, but now the Atlantic League is the spotlight of the baseball world. And I think that kind of sheds light into your next question why now? Why come see a game now? Well, Obviously the first answer is gonna be because you have no other choice. You're the <laughs> but the second answer would be that it's a great atmosphere, right? We have great promotions, we do really cool stuff. Um I could go on and on about that, but you know, more in depth about that would be it's it's a great atmosphere and it's great baseball. It's highly competitive baseball and it's the most family affordable fun that you're gonna find. You know, in Southern Maryland, in particular, but that speaks to any independent baseball team. They're all going to bring you that high level of entertainment, competitive nature, and fun.
0: So, what you know, when we get back to 2020, what do you think we can look forward to when we get out to the ball game out there to see the Blue Crabs? I mean, what what are some of the fun things y'all have planned?
4: Well, you know, I think most importantly, it would be, you know. Even past the promotions, the most important thing for us is just bring the community back together. And we want the community. We want to rally around the community. Um, probably change up some of our promotions to even further um, give thanks to first responders, people who helped out during coronavirus, and really hone in on what it is to be a Southern Marylander. So really, really. Um, focusing on that with things like um, Southern Maryland hometown team night. And then, um, you know, for whatever reason in Maryland, people go by counties and not cities. Um, I've never understood that as a Midwesterner, but that's what we do here. So we're going to have county nights for each county and kind of compete to see who has the best county and, and so on and so on. So i um, really focusing on the community and what we can do for them to get back after, you know, once we get through these times.
0: Well, I, I for one, can't look, can't wait. Um, One of my very good friends that I served within the Army is is out at Aberdeen. So we're talking about making a trip when I come up from Austin.
4: Hey, man, we'd love to have you out. That'd be awesome.
0: Well, Andrew, thanks so much for being on. Let's get to you guys stay safe and we will be back whenever baseball gets started.
4: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me
1: on, man. And now on to close it out, the right hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher.
0: So as we close it out, rather than doing a regular monologue like I normally do, I thought that I would donate or give my Closing It Out segment to shine a spotlight on another independent baseball team that I have admired from afar. Andrew Nelson, one of our regular contributors, is a huge, huge fan. And so we're going to be welcoming the voice of the St. Saint Paul Saints, Mr. Sean Michael Aronson to the show. Now, Sean Michael Aronson was born Jose Tariq Oshansky in May 13, 1977 on a farm in the Virgin islands. He along with peasant parents made their way to the United States as part of the witness protection program where young Jose had to change his name to Sean. They moved to the mountains in Montana where Sean grew up wrestling bears and chasing wolves in the middle of the night. He lived a life of hardship, owning one pair of torn pants and shoes made from cardboard. He vowed to make it big and give back to his parents who had five jobs each just to make ends meet. Sean left the countryside of Montana for bigger things in L.A., where he was a cast member of the original Real World. It was there that he discovered and came up with the idea of Survivor, selling those rights to Mark Burnett. He made his first million at the age of 17 and made it to the Fortune 500 at the age of 19. He got into broadcasting as a hobby at the age of 23 and got his first broadcasting job at 24. Two years later, he landed a job with The Miracle. And after four years in Fort Myers, Sean wanted to move to a place with cold winters and below freezing temperatures to toughen him back up as he felt he'd become too soft living in 80 degree weather each day. He is now a broadcaster for the Saints, and his fans can find him shoveling snow on the highways in the middle of the night in nothing but shorts. His E True Hollywood story titled From Outhouse to the Penthouse is due out early next year. Uh, we're excited to welcome to the show Sean Aronson, voice of the St. Saint Paul Saints. How's it going, Sean? It's going well. How are you? I'm well. How much did I butcher your last name?
5: No, you got it perfect. You were right on the money.
0: Well, that's the way to start an interview right there. Uh, so I, I read your bio uh, on the show before we brought you in and what a life you've led. Uh, just <laughs> just really impressive. Uh, how did you, uh, in, in spite of all of your, your bear fighting and, and leaving the Virgin Islands, how did you get into baseball in the first place?
5: Yeah, this is, uh, this is all I've ever wanted to do was uh, play-by-play uh, in the world of baseball. I grew up in Southern California listening to arguably the greatest broadcaster to ever live in Vin Scully. And I realized at a very early age that uh, my quote unquote talents, and I use that term very loosely, uh, were only going to take me so far. And so I needed something else to, to kind of fall back on. And I realized if, if you can't play the game and you can't teach the game, the next best thing is to talk about the game. <laughs> and, and so here I am.
0: Uh, no, that's great. I I love that you brought up Vin Scully. I'm a Houston kid growing up. So for me, it was Milo Hamilton. But yes, that was the voice of my childhood.
5: So, yeah, so you understand that. I mean, that, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I've talked to other broadcasters that are in the business and they all have, you know, their guy wherever they grew up and, and you know, listen to. But, uh, you know, Vin Scully is is at the top of my list. And, uh, you know, whoever is second is, is far down that list uh, compared to Vin.
0: I would even agree. And just don't, just don't tell Milo. Um, so I, so I did say in your bio that you actually used to be the play-by-play guy for the Miracle. We were actually big Miracle fans on the show. Uh, and then you go to St. Paul. What was that like to go from, hey, look, it's summer all the time to what's summer?
5: <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, you know, it's it's funny that you you say that that you ask that because I drove from Fort Myers to uh, to St. Paul. Basically, right when spring training was starting down in Fort Myers, I had wrapped up everything that I needed to do and uh, started driving up. So it was the late February and I drove right into a uh, terrible snowstorm in, in Minnesota. So my, my welcome to Minnesota moment was on my way up. I think I was in Iowa and me and about, I don't know, 15 other car, cars pulled off the road at the exact same spot to the same exact hotel because you couldn't drive any further. And uh, and had to stay the night. And then when I drove to, to Minnesota, my first day of work, uh, I was the idiot who, again, another snowstorm passed through as I was trying to drive into our parking lot. I got stuck at the, at the entrance of the parking lot. So now I'm blocking everybody from trying to get into our parking lot. First day of work. And, and that's how I uh, welcome myself to the organization.
0: That's hilarious. It's also kind of funny <laughs> that friend of our show, the current now Mighty Muscles broadcaster, yeah. Marshall Kellner, Minnesotan and big, uh, big Vikings fan. So in Twins. Yeah. Fan, so
5: very yeah. weird. Yeah. He actually, he was actually, uh, what was it last year or two years ago? He, he came back into town and uh, and I met him for the first time, and, and he came and toured uh, our ballpark with the uh, with the Saints. So I had a chance to meet Marshall, really nice guy,
0: real nice guy. I'm, but I've been a, I've been a Saints fan from a distance. One of our regular contributors is a regular goer. I have tickets for July thirty first. Fingers are crossed that that's still <laughs> going to happen. I love the connection to the past that the, that the name the Saint Paul Saints ties to the old minor league team before I think the yep. Twins were even a thing. Yep. But how, talk a little bit about that connection that St. Paul, the Saints have with that community in the area.
5: Yeah, look, Mike Vick, Mike Vack, our, our owner and, and president, says it all the time that uh, a community does not need a, a ball club, but a ball club needs its community. Uh, and, and that's I mean, I, it's very succinctly put and very well put by Mike and it, it makes all the sense in the world, right? No community is is clamoring to, to get a team, but uh, once the team is there, that that team needs its community, and so we have all we've tried to do is just be a little part of the community every single year. Uh, when we when we moved into the brand new ballpark five years ago, we said that we didn't want to be the community; we just wanted to be a part of the community, and uh, and and that's been the case. And so, look, we. we we do everything we can to, uh, to, to go into the community, just like every single minor league, you know, baseball team or, or, uh, you know, sports team in general to do what you can uh, to immerse yourself in that community, whether it's uh, you know, being a part of parades or, or festivals, or whether it's going to hospitals, whether it's giving back to charitable organizations, um, that is the goal of, of the saints every single year. So
0: I want to make this next portion about me a little bit. Uh, you know, sure. it's, it's my show. Um, yeah. ask me how good a sport I am.
5: How good of a sport are you, Jim?
0: So on uh, November 1st, 2017, um, 42 years of frustration came to fruition, but I had to get tickets to Astro the Grouch Night um, because I also have a sense of humor and I thought that was amazing. Whose idea was that? Was it yours? I hope so. And, and just, I mean, how much of that is important though, creating these moments and for y'all to jump on that and and to, again, get a guy from Texas to immediately buy tickets and plane tickets, by the way, what a smart move
5: look here's the thing we we have always been kind of anti-establishment you know major league baseball for the longest time and, and i would i would say major league baseball's come around a little bit but for the longest time they were this is our way you know there is no fun we're not doing these between inning promotions we're, we're not having uh, promotional nights we're not doing any of this and then they realized look at all the success minor league baseball is having you know it it can work here. And so we've always been that way. And when this came out and, and, you know, the uh, major league baseball investigated and found everything that they did, we thought, all right, is there an angle for us here? We we don't force promotions. We don't force things just because something's relevant and we're only going to do something if we felt we could come up with the, with the best idea. And so we combined a little bit of uh, a Sesame street with uh, kind of what the Astros were doing, and we, we came up with this quote-unquote talking bobblehead, and uh, the, the rest is history. It was uh, Sierra Bailey, who was a wonderful, wonderful director of uh, marketing and promotions, our general manager, Derek Scherer, um and then myself uh, all had a hand in this and, and just sort of refined the idea Uh, you know, over the course of a a few days. And, uh, you know, now you you have the the Astro the Grouch uh, talking bobblehead. I I will say this, though, uh, and and obviously we haven't given them away yet, but uh, I am the voice of of Astro the Grouch. So, uh, yeah, so that is that is a little nugget that nobody knows. It is not public yet. But I am divulging here on on your show for the first time that when people get it, uh, I am the, the voice. And by voice, it's you know just you you know saying fastball curveball whatever in, in my worst in my worst astro or or oscar if you will uh uh you know voice that i could do but uh, it was funny enough and we were like yeah let's just go with it so yeah
0: if i'm lucky enough to score one uh, it is going next to my orbit holding the uh, the go world ahead. series trophy again yeah, sense yeah, of humor you um, there you go but, but now down to some serious business, though, like I said, I do have tickets. I have um, I think we got four seats. What mm-hmm. is the plan or or how? Do I, well, I know what the plan is. You guys formulated a really thorough plan for yeah. how to approach COVID. How important was that to reassure everybody that we are going to do our best to give you baseball, but also make sure that it's safe?
5: Yeah. And, and let me be upfront about this. The, the St. Saint Paul Saints, the American Association uh minor league baseball as a whole independent baseball as a whole aren't going to decide if they open their gates or not right it's not going to work that way it's going to be uh you know the powers that be the uh the the scientists the medical medical profession uh the the government they're all going to decide whether we can open our gates or not we just wanted to be as proactive and as transparent as possible and and let our governor know that hey if you're thinking about opening it up larger uh, events, we have a plan in place. What we released was a five-page plan to the media and then to our uh, and to our fans. It sits on our website right right now. Anyone can go to saintsbaseball.com and, and see our plan. But the actual plan is a 30-page plan that was created by uh, our our ownership group, our, our, all the teams in our ownership group. So us the Hudson Valley Renegades and the Charleston River Dogs uh, with help from our our owners. And we spent the better part of a week to a week and a half on phone calls, kicking around ideas. Uh, Operations managers from each team uh, got involved because look, they are the pulse of everything that goes on in the ballpark. Uh, We got the food and beverage departments involved. We got the promotions departments involved. Uh, We got the media relations departments involved. How can each of these areas work to its, its fullest while also having social distancing uh, be a part of it. And so we came up with a 30-page document that uh, myself and a couple of other media relation people in the organization were charged with uh, narrowing that, that down to five pages because no media person is going to read 30 pages. No fan is going to read 30 pages. So, um, so the main points are there in a five-page document. Um, and, and it was important. We, we just wanted to be proactive. We didn't want to wait until someone said, OK, you could open up. Uh, And I think that this this is going to go a long way to helping us make a case that uh, the governor says, all right, you can open up. You may not be able to open up to seven thousand two hundred ten people, which is what our ballpark holds. And over the last five years, we've averaged over eight thousand. We may not be able to open up to that. But you know what? You can open up to 20 percent capacity, 25 percent capacity, because you've shown that you have this plan in place. That's all we are trying to do.
0: With every bad situation, uh, there's opportunity. I mean, that's yeah. that's the reality of it all. And sure. if you look at the politics of all of all of it, chances are the first baseball that people are going to get to go to see is going to be an independent club, right? The mm-hmm. affiliated minor leagues aren't going to get players likely. If you look at what the Major League Baseball plan is of 30 man rosters and fit in 20 man taxi groups that are going to be working mm-hmm. out. And why is it? Or how do you how do you convince a fan to take this opportunity that maybe hasn't checked you out yet to say hey come look at independent baseball because really and truly it's good baseball.
5: Yeah, look, I'll answer I'll answer that question, but let me say that there there in in my estimation this is my opinion this is Sean Aronson's opinion there are three groups of people that when all these uh, you know stay at home end there are three groups of people the first group are going to be the ones that. Uh, you saw in Wisconsin, if anyone saw the, the video, that bars were open and people flooded the boulders in Wisconsin. Didn't care. that they, they just want to get out. They don't care about the six feet. They don't care about the masks, whatever. There is another group that even when the stay-at-home is lifted, they are going to stay in their house. They are not going to travel very far. Uh, they're still going to be very worried, and uh, they're going to be way, way cautious, and then there's going to be that middle group, and that middle group is going to want to go places, but they're going to want to know that whatever you're doing is uh, you've got the, the health and safety of people walking into your establishment uh, you know, ready and, and, and willing and able to, to take care of everything. Our goal is to hit that middle, that, those middle section, right? The, the first section, they're going to come no matter what. The, the third section, uh, who don't want to go out at all you know, you can't convince them. It's the middle section that you're going to try and convince. So the health side that we talked about is already there. But if, if people are wondering, hey, look, I'm looking for something to do. I've never been to a Saints game. It is family fun entertainment. But our goal is to entertain you for however long you're there. If you go to a movie, right? You, you sit in a movie theater, you sit at your house. Um, I call it the, the the butt test, right? Your butt will tell you how interesting the movie is because two hours into the movie, if if you're not enjoying it, Right? You start to get a little uncomfortable. Your butt starts to hurt. You're trying to, you're, you're moving around in your seat. You're trying to find that comfortable position because you're not entertained. You're not engaged. Right? So that's what we try to do is when we get you into the ballpark, we try to entertain you. We try to engage you. We try to make you forget about everything else that's going on, that you're going to laugh, that you're going to leave that ballpark. You may not remember the final score of the game, but you're going to remember what made you laugh. During that ball game. And and we try to do that a number of times. Uh, You know, I liken it to a stand up comedian. We're going to have jokes that 75, 80% of the audience is going to get. Then we're going to have jokes that like 50% of the audience are going to get. And then we're going to have jokes that like 20% of the audience is going to get. And and that's what it's like for three hours uh, out at the ballpark.
0: As we wrap up, I want to talk, have you talk just a little bit about the competitiveness of the league because I try to explain this to people. That watching a, a, an independent game or a minor league game, you don't see the talent difference like you do if you watch the XFL and the NFL. Um, mm-hmm. I was at a, I actually watched the St. Paul Saints no hit the Cleburne Railroaders uh, in Cleburne, Texas, while on the air with those guys, and they were mad at me. Like I brought a no hitter with me. I, I'm not from Minnesota, but anyway, um, talk a little <laughs> bit about though. I mean, it's good baseball, man, right? Like it's good baseball.
5: Yeah. You know, the misconception is these guys are your weekend beer league softball guys, right? Like that is the worst misconception. Um, And and look, we've been around for, you know, this will be our 28th season. And and that misconception still occurs in our own backyard. Um, And I think that's that's a fault of our own uh, because when we first got to town 28 years ago, we promoted the fun. We promoted the entertainment. We didn't promote the baseball. And Had they promoted the baseball back then, they would have died in year one because the twins were down the road. You want to go see the best baseball in the world. You go, you know, nine, 10 miles down the road to, uh, you know, at the time, the Metrodome, now Target Field. And and, you go watch the best baseball in the world. These guys, though, that are here, I call it a first chance, second chance league. First chance for college guys that were not drafted and are looking to get that that first opportunity and second chance for guys that were at single A, double A triple a some guys who are in the major leagues in our league that are looking for that second opportunity to be found by another organization and get signed and go back to affiliated ball look their, their goal their be all to end all is not to, to stick with us right that's not the goal they're trying to play their way out of here so you are seeing guys that are giving everything they they have because they don't want to stay there right they want to get back into affiliated ball And, you know, people always ask me, well, what's the average talent level, uh, you know, in your league? And look, I I don't know. I've heard anywhere from, you know, single A to double A. I I think it depends on on the night, right? Like I, I would tell you the average is probably high A. Like if you were to really do an average, it'd probably be about high A. And I spent four years, as you mentioned, in Fort Myers at high A. Um, but some nights you're going to get double A level baseball. You, you're, and and I, I tell you a handful of times you may even see some like triple A level baseball across the board. I'm not talking individual players, but 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 over the contest of, of one game and there are going to be some nights that it's going to look like low A baseball out there or, or rookie ball, you know, with guys throwing around and, and whatever. There's a reason why these guys are here. Um, you know, maybe they've got one or two or three things they need to work on. And that's the reason, but I would tell you on average, it's high a baseball. There's nothing wrong with that. There is talent in this league. Uh, and I've watched it over the last 13 years I've spent in this league. And I would tell you over the last two years, the talent has been as good, if not better than at any time in my 13 years in this league. And I'm not just saying that because it's, it's recency bias. This league has gotten so much better over the last two years because the talent has gotten better because of your drive lines of the world, because of your analytics of the world, because of all those things and guys starting to realize what they need to do to get better.
0: I'll be honest, the no hitter I was at, and it was also a great (laughs) moment, too, because the crowd of Cleburne gave it up for that. I mean, it was yeah. one of the pure yeah. baseball moments, Sean, thanks so much for taking the time. I hope you and your family stay safe and, and thanks for being on let's get too. And I will see you in at the end of January up there in St. Paul.
5: I, I look forward to it, Jim. Thank you very much for having me on. And, uh, same to you and your family. Stay safe, stay healthy.
0: So, like I said, that does wrap us up. I hope everyone stays safe, stays healthy. Thank you for everyone who joined me on the episode today to talk all things, independent baseball, we will be back in just a few days until until next time. Let's get to